Hey, good morning, everybody. We're going to stand and uh, do some worship. If you're out in the lobby, come on in, join us. Uh, we're going to join together in some praise yes. and worship this morning. Yes. So. Can we make a joyful noise? Woo! Again, can we make a noiseful, a joyful noise? Woo! Yeah. Welcome to LCC. You can take a seat just for a few uh, minutes. Uh, my name is Armando. I'm so glad to be with you today. We are a bilingual church, and we have been practicing so worrying Spanish. And, and I want to teach you, if it's okay with you, some words that you can practice during the week. This should be easy, I promise. The first word, I'm going to say the word in English. You are, later, I'm going to say the translation, and you have to repeat with me. Okay? Are you in? First word, tortilla. The translation is tortilla. <laughs> Could you repeat with me? Tortilla. tortilla, great. Second word, quesadilla. quesadilla. <laughs> I'm going to say the translation for you is quesadilla. quesadilla. No, but we can forget about the accent, okay? Quesadilla. Now when you go to Chipotle, you say, I want a quesadilla. <laughs> and the third and last is queso. This is easy, right? We can do it. Now you can start a conversation outside, say, I want a piñata, I want a quesadilla, and queso. I love you, my friend, quesadilla. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one, this is the last one, is te amo. Te amo, the meaning is I love you. Could you say someone beside you, say, te amo. Te amo, te amo. one more time, te amo. We are the people of God, and we love one another, and, and this is the call of God for the church. Just when you go out, say someone, te amo. Don't be romantic, okay? You say, te amo. Okay, and what we have for the announcement today. First, we have intro the service. This should be happening after we are done with the service. We should be going to the youth room. If you want to serve or if you are wondering how you can be involved here at the church, this is the place where you should be. Uh, Monica is leading this time. Uh, we're inviting you to go there. Second announcement. Are you ready? Yes. Helado. Ice cream. Yes. First Sunday, Sunday. July 3rd, uh, we are having ice cream again. We love it, the ice cream. And I don't know if this is going to change because we are a huge fan of ice cream. What we are asking... <laughs> If you want to uh, help with the topping, just go where you should go, my LCC, that info, and we have a sign up there for you. Just click there and just bring all the topping if you want. Okay? Right now, I want to invite uh, Petra that have some information about the Honduras trips that is coming. Could you please, please put your hand together for Petra? You know, uh, that's unnecessary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good morning. Um, so I have really just two announcements about um, Honduras here and you might um, maybe you'll see some pictures of our team behind me maybe not the first is that they do have an Amazon registry for um, supplies to take to Honduras um, with them and so you can see that on my lcc.info they've been posting about it on um, some of the Facebook pages too but it's right at the top of the web page um, so if you'd like to donate materially um, you can 
click on that link to go to the registry. Um, the second thing is they are a little short on uh, funds for the trip. I believe it's about $800, so spread across all the people going, that's not a lot, but if you'd like to donate monetarily um, directly to the trip expenses for the team going down um, on July 9th, um, that is also on mylcc.info right under the link for the um, Amazon registry. Lastly, is there anyone who is going on the trip who is here today? Would you please just like stand up and wave your hand? Okay, we've got some over here. We've got Shayla in the back, some here, and a bunch over here. So we, um, I am going to pray for um, you guys today and for the service. Um, Lord God, thank you so much for today and for all of us being able to be here together. I ask that you would bless the team going down very shortly here. Um, bless them with the, the funds and the material assistance they need to go down and to minister to the Sours and... Um, the, the people that we help um, in the church that we partner with. I ask that you would bless the service today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could you please stand up and praise the Lord like never before and worship with our great team. Let's pray together. Lord, we honor and praise your name. Sense, thank you so much because you have already fought our battle and the victory is yours. And that means that it's also ours. Bless your word this morning and speak to our hearts. We need you, Lord, and we love you. In the Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think I'm finally starting to get it. Okay. For years, uh, I made fun of, I grew up in Florida, and for years I made fun of retirees eating dinner at 4.30. Um, but as I get older, my tolerance for crowds has diminished. Um, recently, it was like a Tuesday night. We didn't, we didn't have anything to really cook at the house. And I, uh, I thought, ah, we should go out to eat. I looked at the clock. It said 5.15. I said, there's no way. There's no way. Like, Bob Evans is going to be way too packed at this hour. So, um, you know, we had to order pizza or something. But, like... But, 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 but crowds, like just, you know, the, the stuff, there's, there's real, you know, phobias that, that exist. I don't think I'm at that level. Um, you know, it's, it's not that I'm necessarily afraid. I just don't want to be, like, bumped into by people. And I don't want to, like, smell my neighbor and hear my neighbor and their conversations and all the things going on. And it's, it, it, like, I just have a thing about crowds. And, um, and so when... Um, when I, I, I kind of started to look into this, and we have this, this thing we're going to talk about today, I realized probably the most uncomfortable place I ever could have been um, was on Copacabana Beach, December 31, 1994. It was the largest rock concert in history, okay? Um, it was a free concert that was given on that day by none other than, you'll never guess, by none other than Sir Rod Stewart. That guy, okay? Um, no, I still don't think he's sexy. Um, but, but, but Rod Stewart played this, this on, on December 31st, 1994, plays this concert. It's estimated on the low end, there were three and a half million people present for this concert. 
And I hear that, and literally right now talking about it, I'm starting to get the shakes a little bit. Okay, that's a lot of humanity in one place. Um, but I look at you and I think, like, him? Really? <laughs> he, can, he drew that kind of crowd? And then I read a little more about it. There were free fireworks after for New Year's. And I think that's, I think it was a fireworks show that three and a half million people came to and Rod Stewart happened to get up and, and do some music. Um, but we, we, we've been in this series called Jesus And, and we're trying, to, we're trying to center our thinking, our lives, first and foremost, primarily on who is Jesus what did he say? What did he do? And how do we live like him? And today we're going to talk about a topic that may seem odd a little bit, but we're going to talk about Jesus and the crowds. Like, how do we, how do we think about the crowds? How do we think about people in, in mass? And, and, and because we tend to just sort of assume that more people are better, right? Like, the bigger the crowd, the more effective, whatever it is you're doing, the more effective it is. Um, the, 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 you know, the, a crowd or the lack of a crowd can determine all kinds of things for us within our culture. It determines, like, commercial success or failure, the size of the crowd. The size of the crowd determines who leads us and governs, the size of the crowd you can gather. The size of the crowd can determine, like, like artistic value, what we, what we say is good and, and not so good artistically. And we can be led to believe that drawing a crowd means that, that we've arrived or we've succeeded. That like if, if, if it, it, we, we take it to be an indication of doing the right thing, and, and the digital age has only made this more complicated, right? Because now there's like even gathering a crowd online and, and, and followers and retweets and, and, and all the stuff that comes along with, with um, a digital crowd. But just like everything else that we, we see when we look at Jesus, I think he had a very different view of the crowd. And today we're going to take a look at... Um, at some places where Jesus interacted with and engaged the crowds. He was very good at attracting crowds. We're going to find he was also very good at alienating the crowd, right? And so we want to take a look at that, and we're going to be in a couple different passages, a couple different passages, and I do want to warn you, if you have your Bible and you want to turn it over, the first place we're going to look is Matthew 14. If I'm talking a little faster this morning, it's because we have a lot to say today. Uh, you could say this message is a little crowded with some, uh, right? with some things to cover. But we're going to be in, in Matthew 14. We're going to jump to John's gospel for a little while, and then we're going to end in Luke chapter 14. If you can remember the number 14, Matthew 14, Luke 14, and then we're going to sandwich uh, John in the middle. But we want to look at Matthew chapter 14. And, um, and uh, Matthew chapter 14... Um, comes right after Jesus had heard about the death of John the Baptist. He'd been told that, that John the Baptist, who was his cousin and, and had preceded him and, and, and was the one who baptized Jesus into his ministry. Um, and so, so he had just heard about the death of John the Baptist, and he was, he was stricken with grief, like there's no doubt about it. But we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Matthew 14, 13. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn there. If not, we do have it on the screen for you. Matthew 14, 13 says this. It says, when Jesus heard this, this is about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there where he was in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Like, this is appropriate, right? His good friend, his, his, his cousin, like this, this person that had inaugurated his, his, that presided over the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, his baptism, has been killed. And he, he wants, he's grieving. He's looking for, for some space. And then there's a big but, right? But when the crowds heard it, they followed him. So they go out to this, this desolate place. They followed him on foot from the towns all around. 
When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. We talked about healing last week and the ministry of healing in Jesus' work. But Jesus, that, that, that ministry continued. And so, so Jesus needs space. Like, he, he needs some time. If, if there's a point in time to sort of say, like, it's justified to just go be on your own, it's, it's at this point. But even in the midst of that, the crowd follows Jesus to where he is, and, and he doesn't respond in the way I would when the crowd comes around and I need my space. I lash out. And it says very specifically about him there, it said he had compassion on them. He responded differently. Keep reading with me. There's going to be this back and forth between Jesus and his followers here. It says, now when it was evening, so it's getting later, the disciples came to him, his followers, and said, this is a desolate place. Like, hey, man, there's, there's like no fig trees around. This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. The, the disciples had, there's this huge crowd of people, and we're going to see how large this crowd was in just a few minutes. There's this huge crowd of people, and, and the, 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 his followers, his disciples say, like, hey, everybody needs to go and take care of themselves. Like, send them away from here. Verse 16, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. It's fascinating, right? Like the assumption of the disciples was, it's everyone's individual responsibility to, have, to, to go get their own needs met. That's their, that's their responsibility. So you, Jesus, prompt them to go do it. And he says, yeah, but what if you took care of their need? Okay? What if you took care of their need? Keep reading with me. They go back and forth again. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Like, duh. This is, this is a reasonable thing to say, okay? There are, as, we were going, as we're going to find out, thousands of people, and we have five loaves and two fish. Um, that, that's not enough. That's not enough. Verse 18 says, and Jesus said, okay, bring them, bring the five loaves, two fish, bring them here to me, okay? So they say, we don't have enough, and Jesus says, let's see what I can do with what you do have, right? That's kind of a cool thing. Jesus says. Keep reading. Verse 19. So then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So look, Jesus, Jesus takes, what, what, uh, what he was, take, takes what the disciples brought to him, he blesses it, and then he hands it back out to them and says, just go around and pass it out to those around you. Don't worry about whether or not you have enough. Look at what Jesus is going to provide, okay? Um, it's sort of like the conversation that I have with my wife every time we're going to order pizza. I love her. She's, she's wonderful. And those of you that know her know I'm way outclassed here. But when it's time to order pizza, you would think that she was afraid of being, she'd rather be tarred and feathered than run out of pizza. So, so my wife, in this, in this one way, I might be more like Jesus. My wife, there's like, you know, eight people, and she orders like 12 pizzas, okay? And we have all this leftover pizza. And I'm like, let's just get a medium. Like, we can work this out. You know, everybody gets a, a slice. Um, and so, so but, but, but Jesus, Jesus is like, look, don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about what hasn't I've got this. I've got this. I can make it enough. I can make it enough. Keep reading. Verse 20. And it says, and they all ate. Here's, here's how the this, this story ends. They all ate and were satisfied. So everyone in the crowd, everyone that was there ate and were satisfied. 
and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. There's probably an analogy there to the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 apostles, not sure, but there's 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. Okay, we're probably talking about a five-figure crowd here, right? And the, from those five loaves and two fish, Jesus distributes it out to the people, and what's left over is excess. And it's like, it's gross excess, right? And there's a point in that, and the point is that, like, the Jesus' excess, Jesus' leftovers dwarfs our supply, Right? That's a, that's a cool reality. It doesn't matter what I have on hand. Jesus can take it and turn it into something excessive. And I ask, like, who wouldn't be following Jesus at this point? Remember, our point here is, to, is kind of like to look at the crowd. What Jesus did is amazing. But who wouldn't be following Jesus at this point? I mean, all they had to do was kind of show up where he was, and they're getting fed, we will do some crazy things to get a free lunch, right? <laughs> Dress up like a burrito or a cow. My favorite thing about that picture is that dude's got a big old tat sleeve. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so like we'll do a lot of stuff to get a free lunch. And these people were out with Jesus. Now, I want to ask this question just at this point in time. I want to ask this question. And the question is, what do you see in the crowd? What do you see when you look at the crowd? See, we have a perspective or an orientation about why crowds exist. Okay? And based on our perspective, like we determine what the crowd and, and those who are responsible for gathering the crowd, like what their roles are and what they're supposed to do based on the fact that the crowd exists. Like the disciples, so often we think that, like, the crowd just needs to take care of itself. The crowd just needs to take care of itself, take care of your own needs. You chose to be here, be an adult, be responsible, take care of your own needs. We think that, that the crowd exists oftentimes to validate and serve the one who's responsible for getting them there. That the point of the story is, is, is the, the person who gathered the crowd. We, we, our celebrity culture just kind of feeds this, right? Like even, even my skepticism that Rod Stewart could gather three and a half million people, like he's not that good. But Jesus, and Jesus being God, like that orientation that, that, that the, the one who gathered the crowd is the most important thing there, Jesus could have rightfully claimed that, right? He's God. And when people gathered, he could have demanded their service. But he has a different way of seeing that crowd. Remember that word? He had compassion. He saw them and he felt for them. He had a deep compassion for them. And then he sets to work and empowers others to meet their needs. Jesus' perspective wasn't that the crowd was there because he was so great. His perspective was the crowd was there and he needed to do something for them. They needed something. We're going to look at this story from a little different perspective in John's gospel. If you have your Bible and you want to go to John 6, again, we'll be up here uh, on the screen. But, but we see the story in a, from a different perspective in John's gospel, and it's tied to a much longer teaching that Jesus did. It's the, it's the bread of life teaching where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And we're going to look at a little bit of it. It's really long. 
And I do want to get you out of here at some reasonable time because we'll completely lose the crowd if I just read the whole thing and, and talk through it. But, but, but this, this story is told, um, and, and, and what we're going to look at when we look at John 6 is actually the discussion around the crowd. Because, because the way John's gospel tells it, it, in John chapter 6, that chapter starts with, it starts with uh, the feeding of the, the 5,000. And then there's this other thing where it's like overnight, the disciples leave on a boat. They get on a boat and they leave, and Jesus meets them on the water. He walks on the water and meets them. It's one of those accounts, okay? And then the next day is where we're going to pick up with where we are, okay? So in John chapter 6, verse 22, we're going to look at just a couple little sections of John chapter 6 to see this. So take a look at, at, at Jesus and the relationship to the crowd in John's telling of this story. It says, on the next day, and so this is the next day, he had fed the 5,000 yesterday, he walks on the water in the evening, uh, or that night, to, to meet the disciples, and, and this is the next day. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. So the disciples got in the boat and left, and Jesus met them on the water. They saw that, that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat. Jesus didn't get on the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone, okay? So, so this, they, like, disciples had left, but Jesus had not. Other boats from Tiberias, this is a region there, Gentile region, came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So they're kind of just crossing the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee here, okay? That's what's going on. Sorry, no maps this week. So they're just crossing the edge of, of the Sea of Galilee. Um, so word spreads quickly about what Jesus had done, and the crowds are now, they're chasing him. Remember, like, We'll do some crazy things for a free meal. They're chasing him. Verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Okay, remember, like, he snuck off. He walked on the water. Jesus answered them. He doesn't, <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because of, like, what I'm doing to you, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 24 hours later, Jesus cuts to the chase, right? He says, look, now, they call him rabbi. This is a fascinating term. This is probably the term of highest respect they could give him. Teacher, rabbi. In that culture, it was the, the, highest, the highest point. So they, they call him rabbi, but Jesus knows, right? Jesus knows. He says, look, you're just here for the food. You're just here to get your belly full. And I'm going to say it up, up, up front here. Like, who could blame them? Who could blame them? There's a term for the people who lived in Palestine in that, in that, in that time. It's Amharets. It's uh, the people of the land is translated. They were just people who lived in the land. We might, a, a kind of derogatory term we might use would be like the hoi polloi, like just the, you know, uneducated, just folks, okay? But these people, they, they really like, the prayer like, you know, give us this day our daily bread was intended for them because their meal for when they would get up in the morning, their meals were not guaranteed. They would make do with what was available and on hand. They didn't have refrigerators stocked with stuff. They didn't have pantries with, with uh, foods that they could, they could work up and cook up. Like, having a full belly was a big deal. Culturally for them, to be fed was a big deal, and Jesus had done that for them. And then he says to them, you're not here because of the truth. You're here because your belly is full. 
And the passage is going to go through a couple different looks at this. But the first thing Jesus tries to do in this section, the first thing that he tries to do is he tries to convince them that, that they're, like they're there for their bellies to be full, but that's not the right motivation. And he goes through talk, talking about himself. He tries to reason with them. He tries to tell them, he says, I can give you sustenance that's, that's more than just bread. He says, I can give you this food that's never going to run out. He's talking about his, himself. He's inviting them to truly come and follow him. And, he's, and when he talks about this sustenance that will never run out, they say this, verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always, right? Also reasonable. I was at the Costco this weekend, and I saw a fridge that cost like <laughs> more than the last car I bought. And I said to my wife, I said, if that thing doesn't just automatically fill with food, I don't understand how it could possibly cost this much. But if it does fill with food, I'll pay that, right? Who wouldn't want just the endless supply of food that people say, give us, okay, Jesus, what you're talking about, give it to us. This, this food that's never going to run out. Jesus says in verse 35, he's, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I, said, I, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. So the crowd wants this food, and Jesus says, all right, it's me. I'm the food, but, but you don't really get it yet. In a moment like this, Jesus' marketing team probably should have pulled him aside, right? And should have said, hey, here's the deal. If we're going to keep the crowd happy, we're going to need to conjure up some more of the bread. A little of the fish would be good. Okay? If we're going to keep the crowd satisfied, you've probably said enough because they're kind of hanging in the balance. The things you're saying now are getting a little off message. Keep the crowd happy. We can't lose them. That would be sort of like the... If you're trying to start a movement... You need followers, right? And if, you're, if, you're, if, if there's a movement afoot, we need to keep them there. But that's not Jesus, right? So he pushes them even further about his identity. Uh, he foreshadows the Last Supper and says things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you can't follow me. You won't live. It, it, it had to have sounded as crazy as it does to us, right? That's bizarre talk. They were confused by what he said, and I would be too, I think. If I were them, I don't think I would have understood any more than they did. And he wasn't finished jumping down several verses to verse 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue, their, their, their church basically in Capernaum, as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples, now we're not talking now about the like extended crowd. When many of his disciples, the people who had been following him heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can even listen to it? I don't even want, like, I don't even want to hear my leader talk like that. But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Uh, yeah, I do. This is crazy. I'm, look, man, I came for the bread. And you're offering me your flesh. This isn't making any sense. 
He pushes them even further. He takes more steps. He reiterates the line about being the bread of life, and it culminates with this. Remember, we're looking at this through the lens of Jesus and the crowd. So look at this. Verse 66. He pushes and pushes and pushes. In verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They left, right? They took off. And quite frankly, like, um, it sounds pretty reasonable. It sounds, like, it sounds like, you know, you were following like a crazy person. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I think the people at this point just said, like, look, free food isn't worth it. The crowd was confronted with like a full dose of Jesus. The filter was off. They were getting the full view of, of what his claims were. And it was just too much. It was too much. And it still happens today. See, this is the thing about the message and the words of Jesus. It still happens to us today. We hear what Jesus has to say in different areas, and, and we, we like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I didn't come here for that, Jesus. I came here to feel a certain way. I came here to have my stomach or my heart filled, but I didn't come here to have you messing around in my head and my thinking. I didn't come here for you to meddle in my wallet. I didn't come here for you to, to, to talk to me about my marriage or my kids. Stay out of that. I got that. My job is fine. Stop trying to, to invade in that area. We kind of say the same things that those disciples were saying, right? Look, man, I'm out. You go there, I'm out. So Jesus says to the 12, now there's these disciples, this larger batch of followers who had come around him. And they're starting to take off. And Jesus says to, his, to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And leave it to Pete, right? Never afraid to speak up. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Whoa. Okay, Jesus, yeah, you're meddling. And I may not like what you have to say. And quite frankly, I'm looking around and people are leaving you right now. But I can't go anywhere. So I come back to this question. We come back to this question, if the crowd is the value, and if the crowd determines success and failure, what do we do when we see people around us walking away? What do we do when we see people start to turn their back or start to, to, to change or start to say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, the Jesus thing isn't working. And what, if, what about when, it, it's one thing when it's like maybe one person, but what about when it's like larger groups? What, what about when like, a culture shifts from what we would say, like, maybe would have had a Christian foundation based on the teaching of Jesus, by and large, to maybe a non-Christian one. And what does that do to us and how we interface with our faith and who Jesus is? Jesus, he didn't play to the crowd. In many ways, his words alienated the crowd. When the crowd begins to break up, who remains? Who remains? This is going to say something about what we're attracted to in Jesus. What, what, are we looking for just the newest, brightest light to go chase? Are we really interested in who Jesus is? 
take a look at one more passage, Luke 14. This is also sort of in the Galilean region, though Luke doesn't attach it to the feeding of the 5,000 the same way that some of the other gospel writers do. He says this in verse 25, Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and, and he turned to them. Again, here's the crowds. He turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. <sighs> Remember when I said, like, Jesus doesn't, he's not backing off? He's not giving us any room to just sort of, like, get comfortable with him? You know? Now, the word hate here isn't hate in the sense of animosity. It's, it's hate as in making a conscious cho- choice of, between one thing and another, and the thing you don't choose is the thing that is hated in this context. He's not saying you shouldn't love these people. He's saying, like, if the choice comes down to Jesus or are you willing to choose Jesus? Are you willing to choose me, he says. But, like, he could have used the art of the deal here, right? Like, let's negotiate a little bit. But he says, look, bear your cross. This, was, this is clear language. Bear your cross. You see this in other places in, in the gospel teaching. Unless, unless we're willing to lay it all down for Jesus, that, like, that's, that's where this thing's headed. Keep reading with me. Verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it, consider beforehand, keep going. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, he's not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him. You're a fool saying this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Look, the point is, like, we, when we get into something, we negotiate whether or not we're going to be able to complete it. Maybe less so for us culturally in a, in a debt-based culture. But, but, but in, in, in this context, he's saying, like, look, count the cost, consider the cost, understand what you're getting into. Following Jesus is going to cause, he says, like, I'm sorry, last verse. So, so therefore, verse 33, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Right? Like, these are, this is harsh terms. And remember, this is said to the crowd. That's where this all started. And see, following Jesus is going to cost us everything. Now, here's the deal. Not all at once. Be ready for this. Not all at once. Okay? Like, someone building a home, it's not like homes just, like, materialize out of nowhere. Okay, I now have the resources. Boom. Okay? Now, like, there's a process that's gone through. Wars are not like, bang, one second, one moment, no war, then a war, and then no, you know what I mean? Like, that's not how, it's a, there's a process that goes on. It's incremental. It's incremental. And Jesus asks us for more and more incrementally. He's going to keep gradually asking for more, and he's not going to stop. That's what he's saying here. Know before you get into this. Know before you get into this that Jesus is not going to stop asking. 
He's not asking for all of it right now. He's not asking for things you don't have at present, but he is asking for for what's in your hands now. And he's going to ask for the other things along the way. When I was a, a, a younger man, I didn't know how much I have to lose now. I didn't, I didn't get it. It's not, like, it's not like when my first child was born, I had this opportunity to, at that one moment, say once and for all that, okay, Jesus, I give him to you. It's decades of him asking for pieces of that relationship, little bits here and there. But Jesus is telling us in no uncertain terms, this is what it means. If, you, if, if there's a crowd following me, he says, know this, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. And then remember, we're talking about the crowd itself this morning. It's one thing to consider the cost. But there's these couple more verses in this section. If, in your, if you're looking in your Bible, there may even be like a section break. It may separate these verses out. I think that's a, that's a disservice to us. Look at what's said in verses 34 and 35. It seems so weird, like a non sequitur, but catch this. He says, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. I'm not sure why you put salt in manure, but okay. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, here's the deal. Their salt came from the Dead Sea. It was these, these huge salt formations. Okay? But that's just open air, and it would get contaminated. Other environmental factors would, and so they'd, they'd, there'd be like large bits of salt that would show up in places, and you'd get into it, and it wouldn't taste right. It wouldn't be salt. Something else got into it. Okay? What's this got to do with the crowd? We're back to this question. We're back to this question. Because you see, if we, pray, if we place the crowd and the gathering of the crowd and then the keeping of the crowd or the going along with the crowd and being accepted in the crowd, if we place that as the highest value, if, if that value rises to a place where, where going with the crowd, belonging to the crowd, gathering the crowd, keeping the crowd, it, it becomes the idol that we worship. It's the most important thing. We've contaminated the salt, right? If the salt is the potent message of of Jesus Christ as God in the flesh, sinless and sacrificed on my behalf, risen, conquering death, if that is the potency of the message, when we start to water it down in order to keep the crowd happy, it loses its potency. It loses its flavor. It's useless. It's worthless. Why bother? If the point of our church becomes how many people can we gather and we'll do what we have to do in order to to gather, in order to get as many as possible, invariably it leads to the contamination of the product. You see, the crowd itself is not inherently wrong. This is not me saying Big churches are bad, little churches are better. 
There's plenty of little churches that have contaminated the message. There's plenty of big churches that are, that are teaching the pure, honest gospel message. The question is, the question is, what are we doing to keep the crowd? What are we doing to try and produce the crowd? Do we believe that the message needs to be altered? Jesus tells us the crowd isn't valuable if you have to minimize the cost of following them. We're a long way from a free lunch, right? We're a long way from our stomachs being full on the bread that Jesus produces. So what do we do and don't do? This is a little, it's a little strange, right? Like, what do we do? I just want to propose this to you. I want to propose that you cons- we consider our thinking. We consider our thinking. We stop factoring in the presence or lack of presence of the crowd when it comes to the way that we follow Jesus. We stop asking ourselves, what, what, what do others, the large, what, what's, what's the collective popular wisdom? We stop asking, am I, am, am I, in following Jesus, am I in or not with the crowd? Don't worry about it. Keep the crowd in perspective. And can I, can I ask, can I ask in a practical way, would you take a break from social media? Would you? That, the, the whole, that whole world exists to keep eyeballs on certain things. We know it now. We know enough to know that the, the mission of it, the purpose of it, is to get eyeballs on certain things, to gather crowds. And again, it is not, as a, as a, as a medium, it is not inherently evil. But it does something to us. It does. It convinces us of certain things, that certain things are true when it comes to the value of of other people agreeing with this, of other people liking what is said. And say yes to Jesus in those simple things, in those places where it's, it's, especially in the places that are counter to the cultural winds where he says, will you, will you say yes to the small, the hello to the neighbor, the meaningful conversation with the coworker, the sacrifice that's needed in order to show someone who otherwise is unlovable that you love them and care about them, that they matter. Again, I, I wish there was like there was one magic wand to wave when it comes to, to the way we approach the crowds and the way that we think about critical mass. But I, it, I think it begins with just these incremental steps of us acknowledging the problem and moving towards Jesus, no matter what the crowds say, no matter no matter who's in attendance or how many. Would you pray with me, God? We, uh, we thank you for who you are and what you give, and we ask that, um, 
We ask that, that your presence with us would be enough. And I confess that um, I confess that, that I, I worry, I worry about what people will think. I worry about I worry about the majority opinion. I, I, I confess that, that it matters too much to me. And so, Jesus, I just come to you today and ask that you, um, you would show me more of yourself, that you would, um, in the midst of all of the distraction, that you would help me just to see you, what it is that you're asking. And like Peter, would you give me the faith to respond and say, like, what else is there? If we get rid of all the distraction, if we get rid of all the other stuff, what else is there? And so we thank you again for, um, for what you've done for us. Um, we are glad to be gathered. We're glad to do this with one another. Um, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please pray. Pray with me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, because you have spoken clearly to our life. Jesus, you are the bread of life, and we need you. Please fill our hearts with your presence. Lord, we want to be real. We want to be like you. Lord, we love you. Please bless our week. Bless our family. And please stay with us always. In the Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. Um, just one final reminder that if you're looking to hear about different ways that you can get um, involved around here, uh, just join right across the hallway um, for Intro to Serving. Um, we hope you have a great week. Adios.